Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter Church. And a few of you said welcome back to me after I took last week off. It's awesome to be back home in the Encounter community. It's a great time. Uh, We're on part four, just finishing out part four of four of this series that we're calling Evidence. Now, remember, this series is all about the evidence that God was here, that God is, in fact, still moving here, and and he leaves this evidence behind called called miracles. And what we've been doing throughout this series is taking a look at a deeper look at at four different miracles in the Bible. But actually, without maybe everybody knowing it, we've actually been taking a look at all of the different miracles recorded in the Bible, because the idea of this series is we take a look at four different categories of miracles in the Bible. And I'd say every miracle in the Bible, and in fact, every miracle today falls under the category of one of these four different types, four different kinds of miracles. So we kicked off the series, remember, and we talked about the miracle of God's provision, of God showing up and providing even unexpectedly. And then the part two, remember, it was God's deliverance from evil. Part three last week was God's healing, miraculous power in the Bible and today. And today we rounded up with God's protection, his miracle his miracle of protection. Now, as we head into this, I want to make a couple, couple things kind of clear, because it's going to be a little murky a little bit later on. We're going to wade into some, some difficult territory. So I want to just establish uh, a couple things. On, on the first hand, I want to acknowledge that God has this incredible and severe power to save. Uh, one of my favorite Psalms, and in fact, I, I told my wife if something should happen to me at my funeral, if there's a pastor there who asked, like, what, what should, you know, the message be about? It's Psalm 46. That's my funeral Psalm. It's weird to have that all picked out already, but that's my deal. Um, Psalm 46 just starts off with, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble. And I love that. The Psalm goes on to say that even if the earth should quake and the mountain should fall into the heart of the sea, be still. And know that I am God. And I love that imagery so much because it communicates the power of God and the promise of God to be our refuge, to be our strength, to be our help, even though, even though the earth below us should give away. Still, he is God and his promise is to protect us. But on the other hand, what about the times when he doesn't? And that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, so a lot of you know that uh, last week I wasn't here because I was doing some, some missions work in Mexico. Uh, I hear that you heard about that. Uh, I was, uh, don't feel bad for me. I was on the beaches of Cancun and it was 85, but I wore my encounter hat the whole time. So it's like outreach. Uh, but like Sunday night, kind of Monday morning, I woke up to all of these text messages and all of these uh, the emails and Facebook messages. Uh, many of you uh, concerned and wondering about me because maybe you heard that, uh, that in Cancun, in Mexico, where, where I was, there was a shooting at a nightclub. And you were checking in on me and wanted to know if I'm okay. And I had like two responses to that. Number one is like, what do you think your pastor does on vacation? <laughs> <laughs> I was in bed for several hours and not at a nightclub, okay? But you're a weird church and I love you for it. <laughs> but the second thing is like, no, 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 I'm way away from where we are. Like, I'm fine. I'm tucked in a bed. Everything's good. I'm so glad, you know, that God is protecting you. And in a way, he always is, right? He's always got his hand of protection. Every breath that we take, every breath that I take is a demonstration of God's protection and his miraculous power in my life, in all of our lives. But what about the five people that lost their life that day? What about the the families of those five people who died in the shooting? 
Did, did God love them any less than he loves me or, or loves any, any else of us? I don't think so. I think he loves them to death and back just as much as he loves every single person in this room to death and back. So like the question is, as we get into God's miraculous power to protect us, is I believe, Psalm 46, I want to believe that God has the power to protect us. What about the times when he doesn't? And we're going to get into some of the answers and get deeper into the weeds on this thing. And maybe there's some satisfying answers for you. Maybe there's not. And what you have to go on today out of this place is just simply called faith. But I want to give us like the end point because it's going to get twisty and turning and kind of murky along the way. So if you, if you have trouble following or if I'm not doing a very decent job explaining this thing, it's been two weeks after all. Um, I, I want to just give us the final destination of eventually where we're going to end up. Because I want, I want to tell you and I want you to leave here today w- without having any mistake or questions about it is that, is that long before you faced whatever you're facing, long before you faced trouble, is that God already had a plan. And we see that throughout the scripture, throughout the story of God in the Bible, again and again and again and again, long before, long before the Israelites headed out from Egypt and and faced the Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army chasing them behind, God had a plan to part those seas. Long Long before Joshua walked into the promised land and was met with a 12 foot thick wall in front of him, God had a plan to bring those walls down. Long before Daniel was thrown into a pit of hungry lions, God had a plan to shut the mouths of those lions all night long to give him one incredible testimony the next day. Long before you saw trouble, God had a plan. Long before you got laid off, God had a plan. Long before anxiety crippled you, God still had a plan. Long before the eating disorder, God had a plan. Long before the friendship or the relationship spoiled, God still has a plan. I want you to know that today. And I want you to leave with that today. But today is also about what happens in that middle ground. And we don't quite get to see what it is. And so for that, I want to tell a story. You know it as Acts chapter 16. You can flip to it if you want, find it on your phone. The words are going to be on the screen behind me. But it starts off in Paul and Silas, his missionary partner on this missionary journey, are doing ministry in a in a city known as uh, Philippi. And, and while they're doing ministry and while they're sharing the good news of Jesus resurrected there, there's this young woman who comes up and she's, uh, she, the Bible identifies her as a slave girl, right? With this remarkable ability to tell fortunes, predict the future. I don't know if she's using like a crystal ball or like tarot cards or like whatever. It doesn't matter. The point is that she has a reputation for being good at it and her care keepers, her owners, I hate to use that word, but, but they're, they're monetizing off from this reputation for being accurate. Okay, so they're getting fabulously rich off this deal, and they love the passive income stream that she is providing them. That's important in this story, because for some reason, when Paul and Silas walk into town, she comes up right behind them. Remember, she has, a, she has a reputation for speaking the truth. She comes up behind them and just follows them wherever they go and just starts shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God. Thanks for the credibility in the town. 
um, your job is done now. And she, no, it's not. She keeps following them around. Imagine them sitting down for lunch. The waiter comes around and this girl stands up and shouts out again, these men are servants of the most high God. Like, why don't you keep it? We're just trying to get a burrito. Like, this is distracting. The Uber comes up. These men are servants of the most high God. The Uber driver takes off. I don't need that today, right? It's distracting. And they're like, listen, Done. The Bible tells us in Acts 16 that it's actually out of Paul's annoyance that he turns around to the girl and says to the spirit that's inside of her, in the name of Jesus, leave. And it does. Now, it could have been a story of last week, a miraculous healing, or the week before that, deliverance from evil. But she's not the point of the story. The point of the story is what happens next. The passive income stream is now dried up for that girl's owners. And they get very upset. So they have Paul, uh, they stir up, uh, stir up this controversy about Paul and Silas among the local town leaders, the magistrate. They get him arrested. They get him beaten up. They get him stripped naked. They get him thrown into prison. That is the story of God's protection, if you can believe it or not. Listen to what it says in Acts 16, and we'll kick it off in verse 22. Is that the crowd now had joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Verse 23, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, the jailer now, the jailer decides, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. A couple things on that. Um, If Paul and Silas are Roman citizens, they deserved much better. They could have appealed to, they chose not to. Secondly, I want to talk about this jailer guy here because he's going to pop up again. Um, Typically, we don't know that this is this guy's story, but it probably was because this is kind of how things went historically. The jailer is probably a grizzled, old, retired Roman uh, soldier. He probably made it to a a low to mid-level rank and had a reputation for being loyal. And so at some point, he was rewarded in his retirement with this appointment of this post to be a Roman jail guard over this this little prison, okay? So you just imagine this guy who's probably past uh, prime as far as a soldier goes, and this is his means of living out his his twilight years. He's this uh, retired military soldier dude, Okay, he is the one who decides where they go. It says Paul and Silas get put in the inner cell. Typical Roman jail uh, prison cell uh, had three compartments to it, three uh, cell blocks, maybe you could say, or three areas. It's very, very small, though. Uh, number one, it was an outer cell. This is a place with, with windows. You could see outside. You could get fresh fruit, food and generally fresh water to drink. It was, it was the, the best place to be if you were going to be in an ancient Roman prison. Uh, the second place was the middle ground, probably what you think of when you think of prison. There's bars. It's a jail cell. You cannot see outside the light of day. And then there was the inner cell. That was more like solitary confinement, but worse, like ancient standards. That was what you kind of image comes to mind when you think dungeon. That's where people were put when nobody wanted to think about them anymore. That's where people went to go die and be forgotten about. The jail guard decides, listen, he's going to go, Paul and Silas, I don't even want to think about these guys. I just want to be done with them. Put them in the dungeon, put their feet in the stocks, these, these boards, strip them naked and beat them up. Just to make sure that they, that they can't get away, we've got them chained down to the ground. Even if, they're, even if the, somehow a miracle of the gates flying open, they're still not going to get anywhere. Plus, they've been beaten up. 
How many of you are like, I thought this was a story about God's protection? <laughs> you know, I think Paul has every right to get upset at God. You know, I think Paul and Silas in that moment, right, right they're, they're asking, God, like, what did we do wrong? I mean, maybe, maybe I was a little annoyed when I asked the, the demon to leave the girl. <laughs> but beaten up, stripped naked? Come on. I deserve better than this. On a spiritual level, I want to be like, Paul, yeah, man, you, no, you don't deserve that. All of us, we deserve that. He didn't deserve that. On a, on a legal level, Paul, you're a Roman citizen. You don't deserve this. Paul's going, yeah, yeah. God, why? And I think in that moment, right, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of identity. Maybe not, maybe you haven't been beaten up. Maybe you haven't been stripped. I hope not. I hope that you haven't literally experienced that. But there's a sense in which you've been beaten up with words. There's a sense in which you've beaten up by doubts, been beaten up by disbelief. There's a sense in which you've been stripped of hope, stripped of faith, stripped of trust. And there's a sense in which you go down into that dungeon and you're just like, I'm giving up and I'm ready to be forgotten about God. I don't know why you're letting all of this happen, but I'm done with it all. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to be forgotten about. And so what does Paul do? Paul does exactly what all of us do in that moment, right? What, what does Paul do? Paul, Paul gives up on church. Paul gives up on God. Paul, he, he gives up on his small group. He gives up on his serving team. He unsubscribes from all of the Christian Instagram accounts. He unfollows and counters top 30 on Spotify because he's vowing to only listen to secular music. Paul gives up. Some of you who don't read the Bible are like, really? Like that's, <laughs> read, read the story on your own sometime. It, it turns out differently. No, he doesn't do any of those things because Paul, he's different than what we do. He does something entirely unique in the pit, the inner cell, feet in stocks, back still bleeding. He and Silas, verse 25, at about midnight, it says, we're praying. Praying and singing hymns to God. And by the way, the other prisoners were listening to them. They're praying and they're singing hymns. It's a remarkable story because, because God hasn't done anything for them yet. And you kind of get the sense that you don't know if, he, if he's going to. Everything in the story points itself towards hopelessness and, and towards despair. It's midnight. It's the, it's the middle of the night in a dungeon. Like, there's not light anyway. Regardless, it's midnight, and they're in a dungeon. And their feet are in stocks, remember, and they're still bleeding. But yet, even in that moment... In the epitome of hopelessness, they're praying and they're singing out and they're singing hymns to God and, and everybody is watching. You know what they're doing, church? They're worshiping God. Not for what he has done because he didn't do anything yet. They're worshiping God for who he is. That's important. Because if I would say... In our community, the greatest thief of faith is not feeling like worship, is not feeling close to God. Something happened or didn't happen, and I don't feel like worshiping. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel it. I'm waiting for God to move, and if God were to move, and then I'll feel it, and then I'll see it, and then I'll worship. And Paul is saying to us, it doesn't work that way. 
You know, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I'm one of those guys, worship time comes, like, I'm in the front row. This is my seat all picked out. You guys know that. You know not to sit behind me because I'm like a both hands in the air kind of person. The video team comes up and they're like, Derek, you put your hands down. You're right in front of the vocalist. It's messing up the stream. And I'm like, get a new stream, right? <laughs> I'm here for it. I love it. I do. I mean, absolutely. But I think that the greatest expression of worship or maybe better put, the most mature expression of Christian worship isn't like the guy in the front row, hands raised because it's awesome and he's absolutely here for it because it's baptism Sunday after all. I think one of the most mature expressions of worship is actually the person sitting in back who came here and his arms folded and is like, I don't want to be here. This is the last place that I want to be. I don't want to be in God's presence because I've been praying and praying and praying for breakthrough and nothing's happened. The depression hasn't lifted. The anxiety is still crippling. Nothing has been happening. But you're here. But you chose to come anyway. Because you're worshiping God, not for what he has done, but worshiping God simply for the fact of who he is. He deserves our worship. I'm thinking of out in the upper lobby, we, we, uh, we had some space in a big wall and a projector laying around. So we put a screen out there and thought, this is cool. You know, we'll just kind of put, that'll tell everybody, hey, church has started, come on in. Didn't really turn out that way. But um, we put a screen out there and then some couches. And then like, all, I had no idea this would happen, but all these like young families with newborn kids start coming out. So I started calling it Infant Alley. Everybody's welcome. But it's like a whole lot of newborns, families with newborns lined up out there. And they're probably watching this right now, super embarrassed, but like, Welcome especially because you're here, right? Because I remember those days of being groggy and walking through life like a zombie, not knowing how to put one foot in front of the other. But, but like somehow you guys, you made it to church. You made it to worship. And you're like, I need God to get this infant to sleep through the night. And it hasn't happened yet. He might be the only 18-year-old who still gets up and cries in the middle of the night. It's not happening, but you're here, and you're here to worship a God, not for what he has done. He didn't do anything yet, for, but for who he is. And it's that kind of faith that launches us on into eternity. That's the kind of faith that gets us through from the here and now to the, to the suddenly. Because that's the next line. That's the next word. The next line in the passage, verse 26, suddenly, Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken at once. The prison doors flew open. And every, oh, by the way, everybody's chains came loose. Archaeological evidence shows us that in that region, uh, earthquakes were not entirely uncommon. They had earthquakes. They knew what earthquakes was. The miraculous power of God in the passage isn't just that there was an earthquake. It's that the earthquake somehow flew the gates open and didn't squish everybody in the dungeon down below. The miraculous power of God in the passage isn't just that there's an earthquake. It's the fact that somehow the earthquake rattles the chains off from the prisoners. That's the miraculous protection in the passage. It's in the suddenly... Suddenly, God moves. In the middle of the night, when all hope is lost, in the darkest place in every way imaginable, suddenly, that's what we pray for around here. Suddenly. As a staff, we get together on Monday, and we get some prayer cards. Other times, it's just what we know is in the community, and we pray for the suddenlies. We pray for the breakthroughs. We pray for those just crippled by depression, not knowing what to do. Things aren't getting better. There's no trajectory on the line. And we pray breakthrough. We pray for suddenly because our God is the God of suddenly. Amen? 
He shows up suddenly. Suddenly, God shows up and and provides the job offer, or God suddenly shows up and lifts the cloud of depression. Suddenly, God, the employer says, you can no longer have to work on Sunday morning. Go worship with your community. He's the God of suddenly. Suddenly, the bad roommate decides she's going to move out and take the live-in boyfriend with her who doesn't pay rent anyway. They're done. Suddenly, suddenly, there's movement. Suddenly, God acts. And we pray in expectation and in hope of our suddenly. And we worship God, not because he moved, but because of who he is. And it's good news for almost everyone. In verse 27, the jailer woke up And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knows how it works. This isn't his first rodeo. He's the grizzled old Roman soldier, now retired jail guard. He has seen this movie before. He's read this book before. He knows how it's going to end for him. He could either be in the stocks with a beating bleeding back and then die, or he could get ahead of the entire thing and just end it all now. He draws his sword because he knows how Rome works. He knows how the world works, but he doesn't know how God works. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. We're all here. The jailer, he calls for lights. Remember, it's very, very dark. He rushed in and he, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and asked the most important question a human being could ever ask. What must I do to be saved? Believe, they replied. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. That's an inconvenient time to get baptized, wouldn't you say? (laughs) It's the middle of the night. He's a grizzled, retired Roman soldier. He sees the contrast. He sees the contrast of Rome. He sees the contrast of the way of the world and the, and, and the grace of God. And he goes, this isn't even a conversation anymore. I want this. Sub, sub point, I think some of you may have gotten discouraged um, in your lifetime as you start to see it. It just seems as if the, the world in a lot of places and a lot of times, it just seems to get more hopeless and darker. As a reminder, the light shines brightest in the dark. I think the greater contrast that, that the way of God has against the way of the world, the greater that contrast, the more effective that we're going to be as bearers of that light. But that's totally beside the point. The jailer, he sees this contract, he's drawn into it, and he's going, yes! I want, I need that. Who is this Jesus? I, I, I want to know him more. I want that in my life. And then what does he do? He takes Paul, he takes Silas, and probably he lived next door because this is like his trade, his, his whole world altogether. And he brings them next door. And remember, it's the middle of the night. And he's like, he's like kids, wake up, <laughs> right? And they're like, what are you doing? I'm old, dad. I'm 32 and I'm living now. Remember, he's an old grizzled like soldier, right? He's like, kid, wake up. 
and, and bring your, your kids and your nephews and, like, and, and whoever works in our household, the, the servants, the uh, maids, or whoever, like get everybody out here because you got to hear this story. Paul, go ahead, tell him the whole thing. And he does. And I think he tells the household the same thing that he told the jailer. This is what you got to do. You want that hope? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I think one of the most significant change points, one of the most significant um, stories of hope and, and salvation, I don't even think it's somebody mentioned in the story because I'm just imagining a kid in that house who had no idea that the ne- how close he was to waking up the next morning and not having a dad to wake him up. That this is Jesus, friends. These are the stakes. That Jesus will not only save your soul, he will save your life. And the jailer was this close to taking it because he knew what was in store for him and he didn't want that anymore. And Jesus calls out through Paul, don't do it. There's a better way. What do we learn learn here today? How are we going to leave here today changed? What do we say? Long before Paul ever went to prison, God had a plan. You know, with a little context on the story, is it so far of a stretch of the imagination to watch Paul and Silas get arrested, to watch Paul get thrown into prison, the darkest, hopeless place of the prison? Is it so much of a stretch here to look at that and say, God, let the whole thing happen because he wanted to wake, he wanted some kid next door to wake up the next morning with a dad? Is it so much to say that God watched all of this unfold because in his providential protective hand, he was looking after not just Paul and Silas, but the jailer himself? Is it such a stretch to say that long before any of this happened, God had a plan to save that jailer's family, to save that jailer's soul? Is it such a stretch to say, you know what, reading the story and everything that happened as a result of that, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad God allowed it because God worked through it. God saved through it. I didn't see it at the time. They didn't see it at the time. And we don't see it at this time. Because sometimes with a little bit of context, you get to see it. Other times with a lot of context, you still don't get to see it. And that's when we worship God, not for what he's done. That's when we worship God for who he is. He'll make good on it. Psalm 46. He is our refuge. He is our strength, even in trouble. After college for me, I went to a pastor training school, which is seminary. And it was a very traditional, very established seminary. Um, and uh, after I graduated that place, the... Um, 134 credits and learning two dead languages, Greek and Hebrew, later is fine. I'm not bitter. But like after, they gave me the stamp of approval, right? But because the stamp of approval from an institution, from a school, an academic one, isn't the same thing as a stamp of approval from a group of churches, like a denomination. So I still needed that stamp of approval yet. And so... And so having a few pastors recommend me, they brought me in and they gave me this exam for like a whole bunch of others, a group of about 30 or 40 uh, other pastors. And uh, they asked me a lot of questions and it was a, it was a long affair. It was, an extra, it was an extra long deal for me because uh, one of the parts of that exam was three. One of the parts was uh, was a preaching exam. 
And actually, an argument broke out. A, uh, a spirited debate <laughs> broke out. And um, it was a little raucous, but that's fine. Uh, this, this debate that, that broke out was a group of people, a faction of people, who said that this, this sermon that Dirk gave, it could not be given in a context of, a, of an established and traditional congregation like ours. We can't recommend that he proceed. I mean, that was somewhat of a devastating uh, comment. And there were a lot of people who were saying, like, no, that's not really the point here. And I see that, but that's kind of exactly why we're here. Um, and in this, like, conversation, they're like, and at the end of the day, the question of can he, is he, did he demonstrate that he's capable of preaching a sermon that could be done in an established traditional congregation? And the answer to that, they finally decided, was no. And this is like a dog and pony show. This is supposed to be like a rubber stamp. <laughs> My wife was there. We had guests there just to celebrate the goodness of God. And uh, after a very long meeting and going home, very disappointed, um, eventually they let me redo it all over again and I passed the second time around. So I'm here. That's cool. You know, I made it. Uh, you know, with 10, 11 years of context now, I can look back onto that and I can see, man, what did God protect me from? You know, because in the moments, right, of just simply being tempted to say, you know what, maybe I just give up on the thing that I think God is calling me to, which would be encounter church. And maybe I just do this thing instead. It doesn't seem like me. I'm told I'm not a good fit for it. You've heard me preach that before. But, but maybe, maybe I should just take this as a sign to say, like, absolutely, I think God protected me from that. In the, in the words of the immortal Gar Garth Brooks, <laughs> Thank God for unanswered prayers. I just realized about half of you don't get that reference because you weren't born yet, but <laughs> Google it. It's amazing. Uh, you know, some of you are like looking back at, at all the ways God didn't give you a suddenly, all the ways that God didn't answer your prayers, at least not in the way you'd like, and saying, God, I couldn't, I can't believe you didn't give me the job I was so perfect for. And then six months later, the plant closes. The jobs are all lost. Thank God for unanswered prayers. Some of you are going like, I wanted that guy, my high school sweetheart, to propose so bad. And the night I thought he was going to do it, he broke up with me. But 20 years later, you're going, thank God for unanswered prayers because he had something else in mind. I had no idea what God was protecting me from. And sometimes we never get to see it. And I hope that we have the faith, I'll pray that we have the faith to go on and on and on in life and to say, you know what, I don't need to see it. I don't need to see what God does. I'll praise him and I will worship him even in the pit, in the dungeon, in the middle of the night with no light for who God is. The jailer saw that and he decided it's time. It's time to believe it's time to wake up his wife. It's time to wake up the kids. It's time to ask them if they believe, and they did. It's time to present Jesus, and it's time for our lives and for our family line to be changed once and for all. It's time to be baptized. Church, would you do me a favor? Would you stand up with me today? Because it's time to get baptized. It's time for some of you to, like the, 
jailer on that day hear those words, what must I do to be saved? And to hear in response, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Today, what that looks like is the same exact thing that it looked like for the jailer thousands of years ago, is to, is to come forward and be baptized. And the jailer is looking at this thing and he's going, it's not a convenient time, it's the middle of the night. My kids just woke up, I should wait on this. I, I should wait until I got more family or friends around. And I'm saying, guys, we'll take your picture. They're going to be thrilled. I should wait until I get a dry set of dry clothes or I get a ride home. We've got your dry clothes. We've got your ride home. I know that it's not a convenient time. I know that it feels like the middle of the night, but it's time to listen to the words of Jesus. Speak into your heart. Believe and be saved and your physical life. And your spiritual life will never be the same again. You're going, I don't know. I don't know about this whole thing. I don't even belong to this church. I'm just passing through. I'm a student. I'm on my way out. I'm moving. I'm not going to be here for much longer. This is just a stop on the way. I don't want to belong to this church. I can't commit to this church. That's fine. You're not a member of this church. You're, you're not a member here of this institution. That's okay. More importantly, you're a member of the body of Christ. You belong to Jesus. That's what this is about. You're looking at this thing and going, listen, I've known people who have gotten baptized and things didn't turn around for them and things didn't change for them. Well, this isn't a magic trick. There's nothing mysterious. There's nothing magical about this. But this is a moment, church. This is a moment when you declare whose you are. It's the moment when you rise up out of those waters and just say, I've been raised with Jesus Christ. You're looking at it and going, that day would be amazing. That day, someday, later on, when it's more convenient, when it's not the middle of the night, there's no reason, there is no worldly reason why this day cannot be that day for you. I'm going to pray right now. And if God is whispering into your heart that today is your day, head to the table in the back. We have some celebrating to do. We've got your dry clothes. We've got your ride home. We've got you. And now it's time to celebrate with you. Anytime during prayer. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing today. God, it was thousands of years ago, but we thank you what you did for that Philippian jailer. God, turning his life around, saving his physical life, infinitely more important, saving his spiritual life, saving his soul for all eternity. God, we thank you for the spirit that moves not just in one, but in a community, the whole jailer's family. God, God, we pray for whoever today is, is looking at this and going, today is my moment. Today is my time. I've been refreshed. I've been renewed. I'm ready. I'm re-encouraged to join on that journey, God, back to your heart for the first time. Or maybe God, it's somebody who's just been away for a long time or just checked out and said, I don't want anything to do with that at all, God. God, give us courage. Give us hope. Give us trust. Jesus, most importantly, give us you.